for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Y'all, the best way to learn anything in this here world is to experience it yourself or to learn from someone else's mistakes, realizations, or accomplishments. On tonight's show, Fresh from the Elk Bros Adventures Elk Camp, it's our Elk Bros success team and the grinders class from 2022, y'all. What went right? What went wrong? Their aha moments, challenges, failure points, and perspectives. All their trials, tribulations, and even a few celebrations. That discussion, along with some of our Elk Bros shout-outs, of a different kind. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and elk hunting coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? And they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ellis, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And with us tonight, we have our Elk Bro Success Squad coaches, Mr. WWJGD's in the house. What would Joe Gillia do? We've got the ninja, Mr. Leroy Chavez. Luis Gonzalez, the leader of the Venezuelan Mafia, is in the house. We've got R.C. Knox from Cuesta, New Mexico. That's right, the legend's in the house. And Mr. Travis Canadian O'Shea is in the house from Wapiti River Calls, who builds our bad-to-the-bone grinder and sugar calls. And straight from their hunt, from us within New Mexico, our grinders, Tom Roth, 
Mike Messer, and Larry Gill, and Adam Messner in the house. Welcome, ooh, fellas. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> 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 oh, man. You know, it's so funny seeing each, everybody seeing together now after we've been in Elk. Isn't it like a totally different feeling, man? Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> like family. <laughs> the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, the only thing is, is I checked my freezer on the way. You know, after I got home, I... I Adam, Tom, there was no elk in my freezer, dude. What is up Joe, with that, man? You got your you got your elk in your freezer, man. What are we talking about, dude? It wasn't none in mine, I can tell you that. <laughs> hey, for all of our listeners, man, this is everybody here. We've got except for we are missing somebody out of this group right now, out of our Elk Bros Success Squad. And he is on the mountain. Um Cody the we're kid give our Patrick. Yeah. Uh, well, no, we're looking at Guy Panche. Oh, coach for that, sure, our coach. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's up there on the mountain. Uh, we had we had Cody with us in the first camp, and we had him Yo. talking on that one Yo. there. So, Yo, yeah. guy, guy is not an elk hunter, bro. He's a freaking mountain climber. Okay? He's not an elk hunter. Dude. He's a mountain climber. That's it. We don't we don't count. He don't count. <laughs> no, I got a couple looks from us like, what are you doing all the way up there, man? I was like, come on, dude, let's go. <laughs> a couple of them. I got a couple of pictures I got to share one of these days. Of him I said this a thousand life. times. This boy right here loves elk hunting, which I'll take that mountain climbing and shove it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right out there. So. Yeah. But, though, but elk hunting would be perfect on a flat surface, wouldn't it? You know, and, and then your motto is don't gain nor lose elevation. That's right. That's my motto. If we're going to gain the elevation, we sure ain't losing it. <laughs> you know, once he's been there. So everybody, we have all of our success squad coaches here. We have our, um, our, we have our Elk Bros grinders, uh, that were on our Elk Bros adventures, Coach Hunt. Um, these guys finished up, um, hunting with us. Well, some of them showed up, man, um, on the 15th and then ended up in camp with us. Cause there's even, there's even one person. Well, we're going to wait to share that story, but there was one person that didn't even want to hunt with us, right? I mean, it oh. was like, it was like, oh, I got all the info. I got all the, you know, I'm just going to go make this happen. So. <laughs> 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 With a name like the hammer, what are you gonna do? You yeah. just gonna go get it done, brother. <laughs> and we'll talk about him a little bit later, man. But I mean, um Travis wasn't with us in camp, but uh integral part of our coaching staff and Absolutely. you know, I tell you what, um you can ask any of these fellas here that use the grinder or that use the sugar. And uh man, I tell you what, it just lit it up at, at Elk Camp this year. So um Thanks to Travis O'Shea on that, man. So um, that's something they're going to be seeing in the future. Look, guys, um, so everyone knows what to expect tonight. We will be talking about the Elk Bros Adventure Experience. That's definitely going to come out within what we're talking about. But we're really wanting to hear from these guys as well as our coaches. You know, what happens when expectations meet reality? I mean, I think, you know, um, I mentioned somebody that killed an elk without you know just went out and got done but 
man, um, had a, you know, had a lot of realizations come up with that as well. And that's a good conversation as well as everybody else. I mean, once they got out there, you know, and got to see what all of that training, what all that preparation, where those shortcomings were. The mm-hmm. biggest lessons learned, the biggest takeaways from the entire experience for both hunters and coaches, and the surprises along the way. We're also going to talk about special moments and the moments that tested their very soul. Um, or touch their very soul because mm-hmm. we had a lot of those moments as well. Um, and the focus and of preparation, now that all of our grinders have been through the training, been on the hunt, you know, from that, what are they taking as a focus of preparation for 2023? And I think that's huge. And, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of stories as we, as we do this along the way, man. So, um, and, and I will tell you the coolest part. For me as a coach, uh, before we move on here with Gilbert is, I don't think, uh, I'm telling you, when there were goodbyes said, um, it was, it was highly emotional. It, it really Absolutely. was. Um, there were a lot of cool bonds and camaraderie and stuff that, that came out of this and, uh, and, and a lot of good times, man. So Gilbert, let's uh, move on so we can get to it. Joe, before we really get into this, I hear you have some Elk Bros shout outs that are just a little different from the norm. Yeah, just a little bit. Something's old, something a little bit new. So um, we had a ton of questions while we were gone that hit our Elk Bros mailbox, y'all. So what we're going to actually do is we're going to do an entire episode of just listeners' questions on our next show. All right. But for today... Um, first up, we wanted to have the Elk Bros thanks to all those folks taking time to leave us those incredible reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, so thank you, folks, for showing the love. See Talbot. He said he loves the passion along with the success and failure stories. Um, Jim Coyle. Man, that's the Wyoming elk hunter. Jim just sent me a photo. Man, not only did Jim um, have a elk, calling an elk for a buddy early season, he just made it happen himself. So, And oh, he wow. says we just have an amazing group, and he loves listening to us. And this is a guy that has years of experience. So it's pretty cool that he likes to listen to us. NFL needs more games. How hell is that for <laughs> a game, man? <laughs> he doesn't think anybody does what the Elk Bros does for their peeps, man. He says the value is unmatched here. So, um, you know, uh, we got to thank those people. And up next, we wanted to give a huge Elk Bros shout-out to some of those folks um, that sent in thank you emails, questions, or and success letters. I'm gonna call this our Elk Bros honor roll, man. Um, Ed Morris from uh, Ed North from Kentucky, who experienced the hunt from Hades. He said, "Poor dude got COVID at the beginning of it, and mm. it was tough." Scott Winter, man, I don't know, man. If you Scott Winter has been following us for years, and I get an email just yesterday or today bull down he gets his first That's elk man so that was congrats, awesome. scott nice. cool awesome, scott. man congrats, oh, yeah, he said, uh, the arrows man were 
Spot on. Pete Cantola, Ben Talbot from Idaho, Dan Ray from Utah, Chris McKelvey, our buddy Chris, Adam yes. Mister up there in Canada, Kyle Millett from Moscow, Idaho, says he listens, man, and he feels like a kid again now that he's mm. um, out there doing the things that he's doing. Jeremy <laughs> Gilbertson, his first bull, Von Jorgensen. Congrats. Yeah, from St. Anthony, Idaho, Raymond Payberg. All these guys have sent in, like, thank yous or questions. Cody Wells from Lindale, Texas. His dad has also been in communication and really loves our show, has been a longtime listener. Mickey Kent from RMO, Idaho. Jason Pelham. Jason got his first Rosie Bowl, man. Heck yeah. Yeah, Fantastic. so mm-hmm. nice. um, photos with man. the daughter. It was really cool, man. <laughs> Dan Pila, I don't know if you guys remember that. Yes. From yes. Huntworth. Yeah. Yes, sir. Big Dan. Big Dan. Dan has been, you know, on his journey and it didn't happen, man, so close in Hunt Wars, but he took that skill set. He took all of that advice, and this year, finally got the first bull there in Arizona. Yo, and what a bull. Yeah, Beautiful. A giant. Beautiful bull. Absolutely. So, congrats, nice. Dan. Joshua Cochran not only get, kills a bull, but, dude, he and does it in the bathroom camo, man. He's <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he said that bull came in. He had nothing but grass. He was in the wide open. Bull looked right through him. Ends up taking this bull, man. So that's too that, cool. that, uh, that's awesome. I Jeremy, saw that one on Instagram. That was a biggie. Yeah, yeah. it sure was. Jeremy Georgeson, first bull after not one, not two, not four, not six. After seven years, he takes his first Sweet. bull, man. You, uh, welcome back. <laughs> and uh Taylor Griffin, man, first bull after five years, man, he did that. Oh, yeah, Richard Lore and Jonathan Paul, they double up on Washington Rosies out there. Wow. So uh wow. they were That's a great feed. Super man. And Austin Cantola from Ravina, Michigan, first bull on his first elk hunt. The man is hooked <laughs> for life, man. So man, brother. <laughs> yes, sir. That's impressive. Yeah, it was freaking awesome. So that was our little bit of an honor roll right there. I want to thank those people for sending all that information in. You're going to hear a lot of those questions that they sent in. And you guys that are just saying that just want to say thank you, um, you don't know what it does for us when we see and hear that. So um, That's right. really validate what we're doing. And, you know, that's the thing is – We've got all these gentlemen here right now that we've had the pleasure of being around. I mean, an extreme pleasure being around. Uh, we could not have started with a better Better group. Amen. And, uh, you know, I was willing to work, willing to do whatever it took to run the river. I mean, we hunted hard. Glad we checked all their backgrounds and all that stuff (laughs) for the hunt. It was the wise thing to do. Social security numbers and all that stuff, you know, were handed in. You know, the hitman over there in Oklahoma, he's notorious, so you got to watch him. God, he's in all of them watching him, I promise you. Now, Adam, so just so you know, you're muted, just so that if you want to speak up, I want to make sure you know you're muted. But, um, one thing that I want, I'll, I'm just, we're going to shut up for a second and we're going to let our four guys, um, talk about the experience because, 
you know, when we get these emails and letters from people that say that they enjoy our show and enjoy the camaraderie and enjoy that type of relationship and feel like they're around our campfire, you guys actually got to experience that. And um, so talk about that experience. Well, it's amazing. It was an amazing experience. I've known Chab and uh, and Joe for 22 years and had the opportunity to uh, join them again. Chab did a great job of uh, coaching for conditioning. I um, I was probably in better shape for this hunt than any hunt I've been on. I was prepared and ready for the mountains. Uh, Larry, uh, tell everybody how old you are, bud. I'm 77. 77. Now, uh, any of these coaches that went out with Larry, any of these coaches think this dude was 77? Nah, absolutely not. He walked <laughs> my ass into the ground every day. <laughs> and that ain't hard to do, but I'm going to tell you straight up, that guy is an absolute animal on a daggum mountain. You know, now look, he he only weighs as much as my right foot. Today, <laughs> I mean, the cat the cat is an absolute animal on the side of a mountain, right? So, and, and look, in all all fairness, he's you know he kind of kept me going every day because I mean I wasn't going to try to be dragging him down, you know. Yeah. And and Gilbert, you did a great job. And the things that you taught me, the the, the calling. Uh, one of the things I realized, although we had practiced a lot in calling, Travis was really good in helping me get prepared. I got okay with the out calls, but man, my bull calls and chuckles just suck. <laughs> Welcome to my world. It, it, it's like it's like a it's a, like a concert singer you know they don't become concert singers without a ton of practice so my takeaway from that is that it's going to take practice daily practice uh carry a read around with you all the time and keep practicing it and and gill emphasize that man you got to spend some time with it and and travis the same way and i i appreciate that and 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 guy was uh wonderful in uh, equipment. There's a lot of nuances that I took with me this time that I didn't have before, um, and uh, and and Gil and I had an adventure with with a failure point that was a, a wonderful learning experience. Uh, spending half a night up, out on a mountain in the, in the rain with both of our uh, onyxes going uh, losing battery power, and both of us had battery packs at, at camp. Yeah. So guys. We're we're going to come back, to, Larry. I want to come back to that because I I really there were two events that um that really were a little scary out there on on the mountain, and I think that's important for people to talk about. So yeah, okay. good, Larry. all right, very good. But overall, uh, um, Gil and I uh, had a couple of spikes come in. I was he he let them go by. We were taking a break, and uh, he let them go by, and he called them back in. And I was at full draw when they came back in within a half a second of releasing an arrow, and then he boogered. So a half a second got us. But but what a great experience it was. Okay, Larry, what were you waiting for in a half second? <laughs> I just got to ask. where it's supposed to be. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I think, Joe, I think he was like – Get, Big O can do better than two spikes. I'm a, he's going to call me in something bigger than you know. Well, so he's like, I ain't shooting no spike up here. We're going to need a daggum loaf of bread to eat him in this joint where we're at anyway. So, And, and we got to be honest about this whole we were taking a break thing. 
Um, I, no, I we were you taking were a nap, bro. I was flat out asleep, son. And uh, the first thing I heard was one of them logs kicking over, and I'm like, bear. <laughs> I'm going, that, that's a bear. And I'm, I'm not wanting to move to clue him into where I'm at. And I just kind of rolled my head to the side, and I see a dark mane walking up in front of me. And it's the elk-colored mane, you know. And he's only 35 yards from me. And I'm like, God dang it, man, he's got me pinned. And the wind was pretty good, but it was swirling up there all day. So both of them, there were two, and both of them walked by, walked right by me at 35 yards. And I'm like, man, I got to get my reed out of my pocket. You know, I got to do all the things right not to booger these bulls. So I really need to let them go by. And they were just kind of meandering, not not doing anything, as my grandfather would say. They were boodling along, and uh, you know they just weren't going fast. And so, and then I had to get Mister Larry's attention to get him up. He was probably what fifteen, twenty feet from me, Larry. Yeah. And uh, he was laid down, and you know, Larry, he does pretty good if you throw something at him. <laughs> and, uh, but if you're just trying to go. Larry, no, it ain't, it ain't working. So yeah, because he um, can't hear it thunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I snapped my fingers like, like that. Just anything out of the norm. Finally, I just picked something up over there and threw it at him, and uh, it startled him. And I was like, man, I hope he don't yell out or something, you know, because those bulls are. There might be fifty yards at me at from me at the time, and I told him I rolled over and I looked at him. I said, bull. Bull, get ready. Bull. You know, he's like, oh, <laughs> okay, you know. He's like, all right. So I hear him over there rustling and everything. I look over there. He's got his bow. He's getting an arrow knocked up. And I looked up, and I could see those spikes still up there on that side of that ridge. And they're looking around like, you know, just doing their thing. And I just took that call, that grinder call, and just put it to the ground and went, yeah. Man, the woods lit up as soon as I went. Yeah, man, they sickled around. Bing. You know, they're looking. So then I went to get to my tube to try to get it backwards from me down the mountain. And man, here they come. Down the mountain they came, man. And uh, they stopped right where they needed to. And I'm like, oh, this is going to happen any second, any second. Boom, they blew up. I guess they caught our scent, you know, and they blew up. They were probably 35 yards, and uh, Mr. Larry said, I needed half a second more. I wanted to fall over. I'm like, oh. You know, I, mean, I could have blown that up so easy myself trying to do too much, you know, and, and not letting them get by me, you know. But the whole idea was just to let them get by me and try to call them back. I mean, those bulls are a lot more gullible if it was within a big bull, you know. So, oh yeah, a little. If I could let them go by, we could get them back. And I just didn't know he's so thick in there and so much blow down and lay down stuff. And uh, he he had a pretty good open shot there, but just couldn't settle his pen to the place he wanted it. And yep. and, and bravo for Larry not taking an ill-advised shot, mm-hmm. not feeling comfortable with it. He just decided to pass and. And, uh, let them roll on. We tried to stop them as they went down the mountain, but I'm telling you, they went down about a 30 degree grade faster than a bolt of lightning, man. Uh, he, and, he was, uh, he had to finish up that prayer, man. He just needed a half more. <laughs> 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 and, and the only reason I passed is because that dude boogered. That, that arrow was going to be slinging in just a split second. There you go. Yep. Yep. 
It's just very enjoyable. It's an, an exciting, even though there were spikes, it was an exciting experience and one I'll always remember. <clears throat> That's awesome, man. Mike, what about your Elfbro's experience? Fabulous. Met my expectations. I was in a few days early, so I got to hunt with Larry and share camp with Larry for, what, three days before we even started with the actual camp. So we were there and we ran around the mountains and saw some new country, kind of weeded some spaces out, uh, found some elk in a space. Sister's trying to phone me. Led to, uh, led to my first hunt. Uh, with Guy that uh, led to an opportunity we had there. So, but the experience as a whole was just phenomenal. I was able to hunt with uh, Guy for several days. I hunted with Joe for a day. And just the ability to hunt with a coach with the expertise level of what we were able to hunt with for five days straight was just off the chart. I mean, just the stuff that... I mean, you can, you can read books, you can watch videos, you can watch YouTube, you can read, you know, go through courses and stuff online, but walk and pay attention alongside the expertise of a coach like we had the opportunity to do was off the chart. Absolutely off the chart. And like I say, I spent most of my time with Guy and, uh, the dude has a knack for finding elk. We just couldn't seal the deal. Uh, that guy's got eyes like an eagle. It was amazing what that dude sees going through the woods. And uh, he put me on a couple stalks. Uh, I learned a couple lessons the hard way doing that. Uh, got close. Figured out that when you put a pin on Onyx and go chasing an animal on a stalk, you ought to revisit it before you take off in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> I was within 60 yards of a bull bedded and didn't know it was, I thought I had a ways to go yet. And, uh, it, it was really a fun stock. That stock wasn't everybody's kind of heard the story. It was in camp, but I mean, I took off, doubled back around down one side, down through the valley, through the meadow, up the other side, through all the blow down, all the way near the top, sneaking in, looking at a pen I had and I had a ways to go on my onyx as I was tracking, tracking, tracking. And next thing I know, I looked down and it's like, Hey, I look like I'm pretty close and a couple more steps and that dude blew and he was gone. And so, Oh wow. Uh, the, the dragging myself back down through the blowdown to get back to guy was just demoralizing to no end. <laughs> I get back, I'm trekking my way and he's sitting on the side of the road and I didn't even see him. And he was like, dude, that was so cool. You were so close. He said, 60 yards. I was waiting for you to shoot. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, what we didn't know is, is that we had this bull located. We had spotted him. Uh, I made an inadvertent, a poor choice on where I pinned him at. But we didn't know is there was three bulls bedded above him. And so when I got over there, wow. I was Thank looking you. down to where I believe that bull to be. Uh, these three bulls were looking down at me. <laughs> and once they got up and started to move, it got his attention. He got up and uh, off he went. So, but what was the coolest part about it is, is, you know, I trotted my way back through the bullet on the blow down was just horrific. And I get back to the other side up the top. I'm walking down and he calls me over. We sit and we talk about it. We talk our way through the whole thing. And I'm flat out white. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> You hear that cow down there? It was like, bing, here we go. And it started over just like that. 
and off we went and we started into a routine. We worked down and we played with those elk for quite a while. We were on those elk for quite some time. And so, I mean, it's kind of how our whole days went. We'd have some things that work. If it didn't work, we move on and we'd get into something else. It just, but I want people to understand and envision the type of area that you were hunting in. You know, is exactly, I mean, Gilbert and, and, uh, Larry ended up in this area, um, and hunted this area, but I'm, we're talking, we're talking very, very steep country, a lot of shale rock. Um, you had to be careful of getting into the blowdown. I mean, you guys were really working elk in some tough, tough stuff. Yeah, it, it was. And you know, the, the cool. And they had all the advantage, Joe, that elk, elk did. did. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was working. What was really cool about it is, is that it was how we ended up in that location was just a teaching lesson from Guy of, uh, Larry and I had come across a situation and met some people and suggested we check something out. And so, you know, after our first stock of the morning on our, our first morning, I showed Guy this spot and he looked at it. We talked about it on Onyx. He says, we don't want to be here. We want to be over here. And that's how we found that spot. And we hunted that spot for four days. And you guys were, Gil and Larry were in there as well. Um, there were elk there. And it was just a matter of him looking oh, yeah. at go, you know, this spot here where you just showed me is this. But look what this shows us on Onyx. And so mm-hmm. we uh, took the first road going up there and backed our way out of there which was an ill-advised decision to go up. And we came around to it from the far side, and we were into elk, and uh, it was on from there. And it gave us uh, four good days of just in and out. We didn't hunt them all four days all day, but we were in and out of there. And we just, every day we had something going, and it was just it was just cool. But working, the, I can't stress enough what was important to me was is the ability to hunt with somebody of the expertise level and to be able to say, why did we do that? Or what about this? Or this is what I perceived out of what we were doing here. What did you perceive? And, you know, we got to the end of the hunt. And as we were driving back after the last night, and it was like, you know, guy, what would we have done different this week? We didn't put a bowl on the ground. But, but what would we have done different? And he says, man, I don't know. He says, we worked it. We hunted hard all the days. We had opportunities when we and we got blew up on some wind because the wind swirled in there a lot, and uh, we had other opportunities. But uh, it was a huge learning experience. But uh, just the ability to hunt with guys as much as I did, and the dude when we found elk, then the intensity level was right now. We were on it, and when things settled down, slowed down. Fun, <laughs> funny, know how to go, have a good time. And then as soon as something lit up or we moved to the next spot and we got a response, it was like, it's game on. We're going now. You better be paying attention. You know, and we had some setups we did, and, you know, an animal came from the other side. When he wants to get your attention, that dude's getting your attention. <laughs> I'm telling you what. Yeah. He'll get your attention, and you better be moving because that elk's not going to give you all day to play. So it was a fabulous time. We get back. We ate great at night. Uh, a good time around the Fire at the end of camp was an outstanding time, and Joe, uh, as you kind of said, it was time to say goodbye. It was, um, it was emotional. Yep, it was emotional. It was. Yeah, yeah, and getting back late and uh, 
and then filling the belly up with some hot meals, you know, that were fantastic. <laughs> RC and Chav killed it. We ate well. We ate well. I don't think anybody went hungry. <laughs> no, man. Yeah. It, there, there was some, there was some quality food on that plate. And look, uh, if, if there was any, like if I had to take an experience highlight from the meals, I mean, look, we had steak one night. We had shrimp boil one night. We had green chili stew. We had barbecue. We had ravioli. We had all this crazy good stuff, right? But there is one thing that everybody was paying attention to, and that's RC's Cowboy cobbler, cobbler, dude. Dutch oven cobbler, baby. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And thank the late, great Carl Gamage for that, for sure. And everybody um, out there listening, we actually got it on video, him and how to make it, and that's going to be on our website um, prior <laughs> to the, the following. We're going to get up here in a couple of weeks just so – because, man, if you ain't done it, you got – and not only did he make cobbler, cowboy cobbler, he did it with a Dutch oven out there, you know, with coals out of fire. It was just uh, – Classic. It was cool. to die for, man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was something. So, Tom – but yes, sir. What? Um, tell us a little bit about your experience. Uh, well, I got to go uh, slide down a few hills, <laughs> climb back up them. Um, got to, well, You were just got recreating, to huh? Around for a few days, um, <laughs> and had some great experiences. Uh, Adam was filming us practicing our cow calls. And if I remember right, his eyes got as big as balloons. And what do you say, Joe? (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, we're just, uh, Joe and I, Joe is practicing calls with me out in the middle of the woods, and all of a sudden a bunch of elk show up. And somehow Joe got them to calm down and got them within range. So we thought. <laughs> uh, let one fly and we missed, or I missed, but we kept after it. Uh, I think earlier that day we were on one at 11 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. Does that sound right? Yeah, that might have actually been because there were two different days. I think that was actually the first day. First day. We get the one right. at eleven o'clock that we called in and came back around. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, just the, the the whole different scenario that you've got different calls in your toolbox to use and a standard two or three calls and. And being with Gilbert that one night and showing me how you can settle them down and pull them back in. Um, it's just, uh, a whole different, uh, experience and going with that guided service and being limited or being, uh, having to chase them up the, the mountain, the guides I'm referring to versus Joe, your, your pace is just a steady, you know, it's not a race to the top of the mountain. You you want to get there. It's uh, so I, I appreciated that. 
I know we had to wait for Adam a couple times, but you, you probably <laughs> you probably you probably caught him tired because I don't know. <laughs> Day number two for us was not like you described. <laughs> I, was say, I had him the day after they got two hours of sleep and he didn't have any problem with pace that day <laughs> yeah that that was a little bit different man um yeah and we'll talk about that two hours of sleep but you know it was it was great because with tom we'd be going i mean we would have a bull down in the bottom first thing in the morning and he i mean this is a nice mature bull screaming off and adam's going like Joe, why aren't we going at that bull? You know, I mean, he's he's over because I, I was like Adam. By the time we get there, he's not going to be there. That booger's going to go up, and we better start paralleling him like right now. Damn. And uh, so we we started doing that. We started going up the hill. One time, uh, Tom grabbed me and he goes, "Joe, I think you're killing Adam." you gotta grab him man i'm telling you straight up i I looked at i looked at tom and i was like yeah tom we're pretty tired right and you're like yeah we we should probably relax you look really tired adam i was like yeah totally totally let's slow it down a little bit yeah Yeah, that whole whole tactic joe parallel and the herd going up the mountain and waiting for that transition point that that was all new to me i've never heard of it doing anything like that uh every time i've been on a bowl it's scream at them and hope they come to come to you to get a shot off and that seldom works from what i found well it can sometimes but you know what we've found is the the more norm to this is you trying to get on their level and running them down is, you know, unless you're like Joe or part Billy goat or dadgum mountain goat, you, you just can't run them down. Right. They're just unbelievable critters. But if you can get up there on their side inside him, mean, we did that twice. Joe and I did uh, this, this past, um, this past hunt. And I mean, we got around them, you know, and when we got around them, you know, 10 years ago, there was no way I could get around them, right? We got around them and, you know, created opportunities. And a lot of times if they're just meandering and they're not really going to a destination, you can do that. But if he's hooking them and he's he's rounduping them and the whole time he's pushing them up, it's really hard to run them down. Mm-hmm. So best thing you can do is get in there, like Joe said, and try to try to side hill them, keep, keep moving at their pace and then try to cut them off where they're going to their destination. Yeah, And, and what I tell our listeners out there is it's not really the bull that you're trying to stay even with. You Move actually want to get up ahead of him, man, because he's yeah. following cows. Yeah. So as you're going up, you can actually, if you can start, it's going to get smaller at the top and they are going to cross. In fact, that, that herd that morning ended up beating us to a cross point up at the top there. Um, and ended up actually catching our scent. We had some stuff that swirled up there, but you know, that, that is not easy. I mean, we're hoofing uphill. It's a lot easier going downhill, but <laughs> we were, we were moving up some steep ridges there, man. So, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm proud of this. Tom, Tom was some like, he was very concerned down. about Adam, you know, yeah. so I was. <laughs> 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 well, and, and that's, that's the thing, you know, Adam's a world class athlete and he can tell you that. This is world class elk hunting because at the end of the day, these altitudes, this terrain, it don't make a damn bit of difference how good an athlete you are. It will take it out of you. 
Well, we're we're going. You know, Tom has a little bit more to his story that we're going to yes. come back to here in a few minutes, and uh, we're going to jump. We're going to jump to that world class athlete down there and uh, have that conversation because uh, I, you know, look, I was so proud because you know we were going to start Elk Bros Hunt on the nineteenth was when everybody's coming into camp, and a lot of these guys came down ahead of time. Now Tom is up hunting in Wyoming at yep. the time. Right? Or is it Montana? Correct. Which one? Uh, Wyoming. Wyoming. He's hunting up in Wyoming. So the man is on a hunt. You know, Mike comes in, hunts with Larry. Um, uh, Adam comes in and Adam, Adam is, um, I, I just tell you, Adam is the romantic out of the group, man. I mean, this guy, he's, <laughs> Sees Tell my wife that. Tell my wife that. Come on now. We're talking about hunting, brother. We're talking about hunting. He sees, he sees everything a little bit different and in a glow that is just awesome. He just brings a whole beautiful perspective to life when he looks at things. But this guy wanted that solo experience, man. And, you know, he, he, he texts me, says, Joe, man, he says, is there any place that you think on the south end of this unit that I might should take a look at? And I was like, I would go here, and that's what he did. So um, he's out there on the first day, on the 15th, solo, hikes in, and goes all the way up. Tell us about your experience, Adam. Yeah, um, it was crazy. There were a few things that kind of led to a successful hunt. So kind of spoiler alert, it was a successful hunt. I mean, I think everyone here had a successful hunt, but there were – there were a few things that really clued me into this being a, a kind of a special experience. So first of all, I hike in super deep, two and a half miles, basically straight uphill, maybe 2,000, 3,000 vertical feet uphill, um, about three miles up. And I set up my tent. I'm completely exhausted. And I, I'm the only one in the parking lot. It's like one of those situations that just doesn't happen in the peak of elk season where I have this whole area to myself. And I jump out of the, I jump out of the tent after taking a real quick break and I hear a bunch of voices. I hear voices from 11 hikers that just came up this desolate trail that I had come up and they're all snazzied up in their Autobahn society gear with their binoculars <laughs> and their, yeah, their Patagonia gear and they're telling jokes and laughing and I'm like, Oh no, this area is not big enough for all of us, all 12 of us. What am I going to do? And so I take a deep breath. Hey, sometimes hunts don't go exactly the way you envision it. And so I roll down in my camo gear and my bow strapped to my chest on my, what is that, on my bow hitch. Um, again, plug for those guys, incredible product. I go down with my bow and my camo and all my setup and I say, hey, and they all turn around because, of course, they didn't see me because I was all decked out in my camo. They turn around and they're all spooked out. Whoa. And uh, they're, whoa, where, where did you come from? What are you doing? And, and you know, they ask me, what am I doing? And I'm all camoed out with my bow attached to me. And I say, yeah, I, <laughs> no, I say, clearly, clearly you guys are not golfers. And uh, they, they all laugh. And, Can I play through? 
<laughs> Can I play? And so I try and embrace, I try and embrace this situation and, uh, offer to take photos with them. I answer a few questions. I try to be a great ambassador for the sport, right? Cause I assume maybe there are a few non hunters in the group and I try and be a great ambassador for the sport and ambassador for elk hunting. And I, I, I might have been wearing some Vaccaro, uh, camo at the time. So I wanted to represent the elk bros. And so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and so that kind of played out and I continued on and it ended up being a really positive experience. I got to know a few of them and just enjoyed it. I hike a little bit on my way and I get maybe two hours into my hunt casting, right? I'm cast calling as you guys talk about in, I think it's episode 168. Um, anyway, I, I <laughs> my, my cast calling and, uh, it's feeling good. I'm really liking this zone. I'm feeling really good about what I'm doing and where I'm hunting. And I, I get hungry and I, I start to dig into my trail mix. And I think a guy de planche helped me dial in my trail mix. And, uh, I'm eating it and picking out the raisins and eating the peanuts and eating the, the M&Ms and everything. It's just delicious. And a bird flies in out of nowhere. You remember what it was? <laughs> Camp Beto? robber. Was Camp, Camp robber. robber. Can- Canada J, right? Yeah. Camp robber. It flies <laughs> yeah. in and like looks at me about three feet, four feet from me at about eye level. And it's cocking its head from side to side. It's very interested in my snack. Oh, yeah. I put a peanut on my hand. And I hold it outstretched, like in the direction of the bird. The bird flies onto my hand, lands, Whoa. grabs the peanut, grabs the peanut out of my hand, turns its head again side to side, takes the peanut down, and flies off. Wow. And I'm like, ooh, trying to put these good particles out there. Walk another half a mile or so. I do all of the things. I get set up in this valley. It's got a river running through it, a little stream running through it. The wind is perfect. I've got the the sun at my back, the wind in my face. Like everything is set up just the way you guys describe it should be. And to my surprise, after doing some cow calls and a couple of really low-key elk bugles, I call in a freaking bull. And I, I Who did not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a hill cunt. What were you thinking, man? What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, so I was uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit perplexed. And so, here's what I've got. I've got one free hand because I, of course, didn't have my bow in my hand, and in the other hand, I had my elk tube. And so I'm quickly with this elk staring me in the face. At about 20 yards, I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap, what do I do? And then I think back to what you guys say, which is you got to draw. draw. You got to draw your bow. So I, I drop the elk tube. I knock an arrow. That whole thing takes me about two and a half seconds. And, of course, I'm looking at an elk rump running away. So I immediately sound a couple of cow calls. It starts to slow down and maybe even looks over its shoulder, but kind of continues on its way. But again, the setup is perfect. It definitely didn't wind me. It it boogered, but like wasn't maybe wasn't sure what I was. And so I kind of kept that routine going, maybe calling elk uh, like an elk bugle and a cow call once every three to four minutes. And oh, those calls, the grinder, the sugar, those were putting out the best sounds, really good calls, just doing what I could. 
to kind of coax it back in, talking to it. And uh, it comes back in, ultimately lines up perfectly broadside, well, quartering to me at, at 25 yards, center on it, let it fly, and uh, it ran off about 20 yards and none. Well, one of the cool points, though, that we talked about, Adam, was Adam could have sworn that that bull was broadside. And and I, and I think this is a great thing to talk about because these animals are so big that when you see them, because of the size, even though they can be quartering one way or the other, because they're so big, it just seems like all you see is this huge broadside animal, you know, and that's kind of why it's really critical to take a look at those legs. You want to see those legs. Are you seeing on the front legs angled towards you if they're quartering away? Are you seeing, you know, uh, one leg on the front or are you seeing that opposite leg back behind there? Because yeah. that ends up being where you need to shoot for. So I, I think that was critical. But Adam texts me. He's on the mountain and, and I, you know, he's like, man, I just had a bull. I heard a bull respond and I text him back and I was like, so have you seen it or something like that? And he, and all I get back after a second was stand by, right? <laughs> he says, stand by. And next thing I know, he's going, I just shot a bull, you know, on there, you know, and, 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 <laughs> He's calling me, and luckily had service. I mean, so here's the other thing. Adam, you're from Mills Valley, California. Um, altitude is what there? About 30 feet. <laughs> About 30 feet. <laughs> 30 and, feet. If that. and now you're camping and looking <clears throat> at about 11, 11, 5? Yeah, it was uncomfortable. I had a headache. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, part of this whole deal was you you wanted this experience and you really felt like this was an experience of taking an elk that shouldn't be a problem, right? Yeah, right. I mean, on paper, just go out and do it. I mean, I, yeah, I, that yeah. was that was the thinking. Now, I, I think what I'm talking about is not the – I'm man, I tell you what, when you told me you had a bull and you had a bull down and you, you were, you know, you were calling me on the phone, I was just so excited. And I was like, this dude just went out on his own after two months of coaching, took everything he learned, and went out there and got it done. That was awesome. But then – Well – Go ahead. Couple, couple of things. I think – what is this, episode number 173 or 174 <laughs> – I think I've literally listened to every single episode here, and I know the other folks in camp have as well. Um, yes, I prepared a lot. Yes, I shot a lot. Yes, I was in really good shape and still should have been in better shape. I did everything you know that I wanted to do, but I know, too, that a lot of the folks listening to this podcast and, and the other folks in camp have also done a lot of those things right. I know a lot of people, and I've even uttered these words before, that you make your own luck. There is no such thing as luck. I kind of don't believe that anymore. I really don't. Because I saw all of the hard work that everyone here puts in and all of the homework that everyone puts in. There, there no BS, there was a lot of luck involved. But I think what uh, – so, so everyone that, that listens to this podcast and doesn't get a bull, you, you can't – 
yes, maybe there are things that you can work on or maybe things that need to align for next season, but man, there really is a lot of luck involved. I think you, what you were saying was, okay, you kill a bull. Now what? Is that where you're going with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where you were at, but, but I want to go back on that, man, because I totally disagree with you, man, because you, you are the guy, you are the guy that, (laughs) look, I did that hike and, um, I mean, Serious it's hike. nothing but straight up, man. And you hiked in three miles. You put yourself in a place that nobody else was hunting. You put yourself in a position where elk, where you were finding elk sign. You were the one that was making the calls. You were the one that was in a place with the wind was right, and you understood that with the sun at your back, and you understood that. And not only after calling a bull in, you had the self awareness once that bull took off to recall that booger in. That is not mm-hmm. luck. That is you creating right. your um, situation. So, uh, yeah, maybe you can say that, oh, gosh. Right place, right be, time. Yeah, there happened to be an elk in that area. But, dude, you brought that elk to you, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 100%. 100%. So, uh, and, and knowing what you know now about altitude, Adam, would there be something different that you did to pre- maybe go – a day early and try to acclimate or a couple days early and try to acclimate at that level before you just take three miles and go straight up and get in there and get yourself sick. Um, well, I didn't get sick. I, I didn't have to come down. I, I got an elk. Oh no, so, make no mistake, brother. You were sick. You just didn't come down. <laughs> you just didn't so, succumb so. to it. <laughs> um, what what effect did the Joe said, have on Joe him? said he looked like a wrung out gut, a sack of a gut when he when he got to him the next day. Cause, I could look, man. I I don't know you personally, but you know. Your your video was awesome, by the way. I mean, it was so cool for you to take the time to, you know, just just talk to all the bros and and the team when when you harvested your bull, and uh, well, it was think- it was you you were it was a combination between obviously the altitude and then you trying to pack that elk by yourself for the yeah, whole day. You dude. were. You were fucked Ooh. up, man. Like, Ooh. it was foggy. <laughs> fogged up. Fogged, yeah, fogged up. up. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so again, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone on this video call has maybe had an encounter, maybe while elk hunting, where you're uh-huh. like, I don't know how this is going to end here. And maybe that was kind of my moment yeah. after shooting this bull when I walk up to it. And it's an absolute freaking horse of an animal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everything everything starts to come into focus. And I'm like, I've got one knife. I've got one bar of reception. I don't know how I even have reception. I've got one piece of rope. And uh, I've got got a a bit of a lifeline. And so I call Joe and I'm like – Hey Joe, so hey, how do you how do you quarter out an elk? <laughs> like I've watched some YouTube videos, and I think I think that was one of the sections in the uh, the Elk base Bros uh, Academy in the Base Camp Academy. And so I'm like flipping through the Rolodex of how do you how do you quarter out an elk um, at you know. Eight o'clock at night. Feet. Yeah. At, a, at a eight o'clock at night at no. eleven thousand feet by yourself. You know, Adam, that's a great observation, though. And and when I heard about the whole story, 
Those were my thoughts exactly, right? I mean, yes, this information, is, it's in the academy, but I don't know that's something that we incorporated in as part of the coaching process. And, I, I know actually, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't talk about it. I don't know actually, if any of the other coaches did. And actually, that information is not in the academy at this time. I We do not yeah. go over quartering out an animal or anything. Now, we've talked about stuff and, and stuff on our podcast, but we, we have not shown that in our academy because uh, we're starting from <laughs> yeah. coming back, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, great point, right? I mean, heck, here we are, you know, called the success squad. Well, yeah. what do we do when we become successful? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like it's something we need to incorporate into this, you know, into this, uh, We were kind of hoping, we, you know, <laughs> at, here's the crazy thing about it. I was so happy for him. You know, but, you know, and all in all, we were kind of hoping that coach was going to be there when they got something <laughs> yeah. to, yeah. to teach that process, to go through yeah. that, right? But uh, I actually – Much like up, we did with Tom. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was one of those, like, over-the-phone surgical things, man. I'm, I'm talking to Adam, and, and we're talking about what to do. And, and, you know, what time was it that you killed that animal, Adam? Uh, it was it was probably like two thirty three o'clock in the right. afternoon. So from two thirty till I think he ended up calling me. It was something like eight thirty. Uh, and now this is after other instruction that we had had and we have talked about. But he calls me well into the night, like eight thirty or nine. And this guy is spent. And he's really. I mean, think about be. this. He's gone from thirty feet to eleven five. Um, he already had a little bit of a headache because that's head swell. You know, when you're yeah. going from that, dudes, have you guys seen what happened to our bags of like granola oh chips and stuff yeah. like that? You know, well, that happens to Adam's head up there, whether, you know, uh, and, and, and it, it happens it, to your whole body. Yeah, it happens to your body, man. And he's up there and now he is expending incredible amounts of energy Gallery. while he's in this condition, which makes him, I mean, it really, there were two situations that could have been dangerous up there. And, you know, one of them was this one. And, you know, when he talked to me um, and he said, man, I just can't, I can't think straight right now. And, you know, his body is there. I mean, his guy's incredible physical condition. Sure. But what that oxygen deprivation and that head swelling does to you and then the exhaustion of trying to, for the first time in your life, you know, quarter a horse and get it. And, and mm-hmm. look, let me tell you, from where he had killed it to where his camp was, was over a lot of blowdown through a creek, rough stuff. I mean, it was from 2.30 until the time he called me, he had he had one side of the animal down to his camp and had the other half, you know, turned over, had half the animal done. There was still like neck meat, lomo, and one quarter still on it, right? And and he's like, he calls me, he's like, Joe, man, I don't want to lose this animal, but I am, he says, I'm spent. And really at that point, all my directions was is, it's just like in the airplane, y'all. You can't save somebody else if you don't save yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I told Adam, you need to get to your tent, you need to drink, you need to eat, and you need to sleep. I said, I will be there. Uh, I'll, I'll be there on, I'll be at the trail at 5 a.m. I'll get up to your tent and help you. And, and RC actually had called, um, Richard, um, and, uh, Richard brought his son, Sean. And that next morning, 
you know, Adam is in his tent when, when I arrive at about 6 a.m. And, you know, I'm like, Adam, Adam. And, and Adam's like, dude, am I so glad to, and he opens the tent to see you and he looks out and he goes, and you have friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, you brought the cavalry and, and we got it the rest of the way down the mountain, the final two and a half, you know, two and a half miles. We got it down in a bit over an hour and that we made quick work of it. And watching you quarter it out, certainly Joe and get, you know, get that neck meat. That was really tough and getting the Lomo. And of course the tenderloins out, which we enjoyed in camp. And it was really cold over the night. Like that was another thing that I learned, you know, I was looking in, in some of the nearby cities to get the weather and the temperature and everything. And it was like 15, 20 degrees warmer, uh, down low than it was where I was on the mountain. So it's like, if if you're going into an extreme area, there's no real way to get the actual temperature or the actual wind chill or yep. the actual wind speed yeah, in these places where you're going to hunt. He was sleeping in 30-degree weather in a 50-degree bag. Yeah, not good. <laughs> not you got to stay in all your gear. You got to stay – you got to sleep in all your clothing. And, and, and a 50-degree yeah. bag means that if it gets down to 50 degrees, you won't die, but you will not be comfortable. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And if you get yeah, down below if, that, I, so I did. Own. I did record that. I did record a video where I was showing love to the Elk Bros and you know saying I was looking forward to meeting some of the other uh, folks in camp um, and, and saying thank you to you guys for everything you had done to put me in that position to be successful and everything that I learned. Um, but I will say, immediately after that, I recorded a video to my wife and to my kids saying how much I love them and everything and that I hope to see them again. I was not in a great mental spot. Yeah. <laughs> I was yep. not in a great said, mental man, you, you, People don't understand you're sicker than you think, you know, and, and it's a lot of exhaustion, some oxygen deprivation. I mean, and, and ultimately we call it altitude sickness, you know, and it, it really is a real thing. You know, the, luckily you're so, you're such a good athlete that your body recovers a lot quicker, uh, even with the lack of oxygen, you know, cause a lot of guys got to come down. It's the only way they can get out of it, you know. Yeah, and, and I tell you what, you know, we bring Manano back down to sea level and his head never on swells. <laughs> I mean, I... well, so, well, so I, you know, I did get through to my wife uh, the following morning. I called her and I said, Hey, Allison, I, I love you. I had a long night. It's pretty gnarly. Uh, Joe and the cavalry came up here to help me and they, they more or less saved me and got me down this mountain with the elk. And I'm in great shape now. And she was like, awesome. So are you headed home now? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I got to go to elk camp. And she was like, well, what's an elk camp? Not an elk for you. You already got one. I was like, no, I, I got to meet the elk bros. I want to hang out with the entire crew. And like, I'm sure that all your listeners have a vision of what you guys are really like behind the scenes and, you know, what the other elk hunters and elk camp are like. And I know I had those visions when I was listening to this podcast, you know, in, in Kauai and on my road trips and into Salvador and driving your truck, you know, driving my truck to work and working in the shop and all that stuff, just like all your listeners. 
And I got to know some of you guys, and I, I would love to get help from Larry, Tom, and Mike on, on like, kind of rolling the curtain back on, like, who you guys really are. Like, R.C. Knox is a honest-to-goodness, legit cowboy. Like, there was one there was one time where I rolled back into camp, and on my way into camp, I drove up, like, I drove through an actual cattle drive. Like, there were some cowboys on an ATV driving some, some cattle down the street. And I pulled in, and I was like, RC, what, what was going on? Did, was that an actual cattle drive? Do you remember that? Yeah, I can remember that. That was <laughs> – I was like, oh, yeah. I, I was like, broke. yeah, were, were those guys doing it right? And I think you were like, yeah, I knew, I knew so-and-so, and I knew so-and-so <clears throat> from that cattle drive. Yeah, they were doing it right. Yeah, yeah, they're ranchers from around here. They take them to the mountains during the summer. And then run them out, man. Yeah, and the only thing is now they use machines instead of horses all the time, you know, so. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Yeah. I don't know, man. Our scene our first morning of the hunt, we, we got out on. I look up, and it looks like the three headless horsemen running at us with, with like, Cyclops lights on. I'm like, what in the hell is that coming at us with lights Eight feet high. I'm like, what in the hell is that? RC. He goes, well, I think it's two dudes on a horse. And sure enough, it was two guys on a horse with headlamps. They were going to run up in front of us and go try to pull some cows down out of the Rio Castillo. And I'm like, well, y'all, he goes, y'all going elk hunting? I'm like, nah. <laughs> Where's your sign, brother? Y'all going cow punching? <laughs> That's exactly what they were fixing to do. So, yeah, man, I mean, you know, elk hunting and cowboys kind of mix. Uh We love our resident cowboy, that's for sure. I was just shocked to see that your motor for humor and your motor for Texas similes, like, it's endless, dude. Yeah, it's I appreciate endless. it, man. Yep. Yeah. So let's do this. Um, so that everybody understands and, and, you know, we can uncover the lie of, you know, what we're really like. We, you know, the, the four of you will roll back the curtain, let everybody know, you know, all right, let out all the secrets. What, what are the Elk Bros really like, man? <laughs> uh, well, you're just like everyone else here. Absolutely. Just down to earth. Um, Great people, good to be around. I'd uh, want them around my uh, campfire, elk camp, whatever camp I'm having. I'd like to have them there. Boy, we, uh, you guys, you guys are the real deal. There's no, uh, there's no artificial ingredient at all in any of what you do. It's all a hundred percent real, a hundred percent authentic, a hundred percent honest. And uh, it's uh, just a, just a thrill to uh, to know all of you guys, hunters and coaches alike. Did you hear that, y'all? I've got to take a second from the show to tell you about the Enchantress call from Slayer Calls. This call, it gets you the most realistic bugles and cow calls I have ever heard from an external. Look. The folks at Slayer Calls designed this external call to act just like a human tongue. So literally, with the push of a button, anyone can use this bad boy to bring those puppies running. Look, if you struggle with diaphragm calls or you have a partner that's just not able to call, 
Y'all, this right here is your ticket to sucking those bulls right on in. If you want to try the Enchantress, which they're calling the Elk Slayer now, to put me in your freezer, then just use our code. It's one word, ElkBroSlay. Again, that's the code, ElkBroSlay, on SlayerCalls.com. I told you we could fool them, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did a great job. <laughs> the crew is real, and they were there to serve us, and yeah. there was just no question that that's what it was about. And you know, from you know, Chav and RC making sure we got coffee. You know, we got coffee in the morning. We got snacks in the morning. We got sandwiches in the morning. If we were coming back in for lunch, we got there. There was food ready for us. If we came back in, we were coming for dinner at night. We had dinner. It was they were just serving us, and then. You know, the coaches in the field with us was the same thing. It's, you know, what do we got to do to, you know, get ourselves into elk? And we just talk through those situations, those scenarios. But that was while we were there. But the time commitment put forth before we even got there was pre, yeah. The, the, the pre, you know, whether it was Zoom calls or, you know, the ability to have phones, you know, phone numbers and, you know, contact information that we had a question or something come up. They're accessible. Yeah. And so well, I, and it was just, there was no question on the mountain that and I, I spent most of my time with KI. We talked about anything and everything, literally. Yeah. And it wasn't just an elk hunt. And the, the knowledge on elk hunting was one thing, but it was, it was relationships that were built. And it was just that simple. It was relationships that were built in a time on the mountain. You didn't have to feel like you were, you know, running around with somebody that, you know, uh, didn't want to be there. They were there, and all the way up till that last second when we had to go, I looked at Guy and I put my bow down. I was like, "Dude, I can't see my pins. We're done." Yeah. He was still yeah. calling. He was still working. Yeah, yeah. He was still right. working. I was like, "Dude, I can't see my pins anymore. We got to stop." Yeah. Well, we, I, I, we I, had a bull chuckling at us that was, you know, inside a hundred yards. We couldn't see, but I was like, "I can't see my pins anymore. We're done." Yeah, it's over. Yeah, it's. Over. I think. Yeah. I think too, another thing that's so great about your podcast and the way you guys operate is you really are thinking about elk and elk hunting like 24 seven, 365 days a year, such that you're attracting great partners and great products into the elk bros ecosystem. And like Travis, Travis O'Shea's here, right? He's got, Absolutely. for anyone who is just listening to the podcast, He's got a couple bugle tubes in the background, a monster Euro elk mount in the background, and he was putting out just the best calls. And Travis, I don't know if you know this, but and I should have taken a photo, but when they were opening up the sugars and opening up the grinders, I, I'm assuming you sent those. Yeah. Like they were opening those up, and holy cow, they were giddy, like oh, yeah. like little <laughs> yeah. kitties on Christmas. <laughs> That's how I was when I was building them. <laughs> and I was, I was fighting to get me another one, you know, because I was, uh, you know, I had one sugar and, man, dude, it's such a great call. And uh, I actually had it on my, my visor right here and I ran into the side of something and it damaged the, the latex on it. So I was like, dude, I need another one. And Luis Beto got and I were fighting me. over the sugars. And, and then freaking, yeah, guy sugar. got, freaking guy got one before me. I'm like, Dude, what is up? Joe goes, you got a lot to read. You'll be okay. I'm like, dude, I'm like, man, that guy don't even, he's not even going to use that sugar call, man. Give that thing to me, dude. I can make it dance, you know. So uh, yeah. I rode with the grinder the 
whole time, man. And uh, I went through two of them in, in five days. But, I mean, we were bugling and, and you know, ripping on them. It's the most fantastic call uh, I've used, bar none. I mean, and I've used a bunch of them. Uh, but I'm telling you right now, the lower cow registers, the chuckles that we could, you know, make with it, the real soft chuckles were something that were super important for us. These bulls were heavy pressured and the yeah. softer, the softer music you could use, the more, the more, um, realistic it was to them instead of just being loud in their face and stuff. I and mean, there's a time for that, but these bulls were heavy pressured. You know, we had a lot of, uh, uh, UTV, ATV access, uh, a lot of other hunters in the woods as well. So, um, the, the softer registers were, were the ticket for us, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of, especially in the early part of the season, what's cool about this is throughout the hunts, you know, we actually went to different types of zones because we all started up really, really high up there around our high camp. Um, we ended up down low in the low country, um, what I call low country that was more of the, you know, 65, 7 down there that sloped down from the west slope to moving back up again to a whole different type of area. And, and really it happened because of Adam. You know, when I went in to help Adam get his bull out, I'm driving down the road in a road that we hadn't been in that I didn't realize that there was this much of this area that went back there. And as I'm driving out, I'm looking at the country on the each side of me, and I look at the spot, and I go, whoa, elk. I mean, I just look at whoa. it, and I go, there's elk in there. And, you know, next thing I know, the next day we're driving. We actually did a river crossing to get to it. Um, and then we got into this area that a lot of people wouldn't go into. And, I mean, first off, we get up there at 11 o'clock during the day, do a little scenario. A bull comes in. We almost get a bull. Tom almost has a shot at a bull right there on that first opportunity. And then we had bulls screaming in that area in there. So it um, – it, we were ex- almost on the other side of the river drainage from where um Mike and Guy and, and when where they were. So it's yeah, like directly Elkhorn, across the highway. Yeah, they were in a more protected area from all the blowdowns and stuff that now unless you were up on your west side up there, there were places up there that just <laughs> it was just berserk. In fact, let's talk about a little bit. Let's talk about another situation um, because it's definitely failure points. It's definitely something that should be talked about because um, there are things that can endanger us while we're out there. And I'll tell you what, them daggone blowdowns in the wrong situation were dangerous. But um, you can talk to uh, uh, Chav. Chav, I want you to think about it. RC's not here right now, but I want you to think about the one night that I got back to camp, Guy Duplanche got back to camp from being in the same area that Gilbert and 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 uh, Larry were in. Mike was also with Guy. They had arrived back early, and I had gotten a message from Larry at 7.34 that they were in a tough spot and would probably be about two hours at 7.34. Do you remember that situation and how that started to roll about? You and RC, you know, you guys can kind of comment to how that kind of unfolded that night. Well, you know, generally uh, when you guys uh, get on, get get back to your vehicles, head back to uh, camp, uh, 
you know, we have a general idea when, when to get the, the food ready for supper. But, uh, you know, everybody started coming in and no Gilbert, no Larry. And, and, you know, we're really concerned because, uh, you know, uh, we weren't sure what, what would happen. You know, I thought well, Gilbert don't miss a meal. Yeah. I thought maybe <laughs> Gilbert sprained an ankle and, and, uh, and Larry wasn't able to help him down or, or maybe Larry had an, uh, an incident or accident. Cause, uh, you know, from what I heard, it was pretty steep for a lot of the guys were hunting, uh, going up and going down. And if I recall, there was a little rain that day, wasn't there? Yeah, a lot of rain. So that added of, to the, lot of rain. you know, our anxiousness. We were kind of really worried, really worried. But we knew that, you know, after what was it, 1030, we knew it was time to go find them. Cause, you know, you can't, can't leave anybody behind. So, uh, you know, Joe and, and, uh, Guy and, uh, uh, yeah, me and Guy jumped in my truck. Yeah, and took off to try and find them. And, uh, yeah, we were really concerned about that. But, you know, uh, it comes to a point where, you know, when it hit a certain time, we had to go try and find them or they had to go try and find them. And, yeah, and we, yeah, we we've had really, kind of a general rule in our, in our camp yeah. that, and I think that led, that, yeah, that led to a big failure point. And I think, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but, uh, uh, we did have, everybody kind of had a little bit of self, uh, self service, at least one bar. But, uh, for some reason, the telephone, the telephones are using their phones just went, you know, oh. they, they zapped all the energy and had no, uh, they, they all went dead. So we all had Zolios and, and even if they didn't have cell service, like I received a message from Larry at 734. The and Zolio. then I popped out messages back through the Zolio, both to Gilbert, who has a Zolio, and to Larry, who had a Zolio, with no response. And you can tell on a Zolio if it's been read, right? right. Um, it shows you with the check marks if it's been read. And there was no yeah. reading of that. Now, this is... This 7.34, by 10 o'clock to 10.30, I still have got no response back. RC, um, I was kind of like a, 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 a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, huh? Most definitely. We, you know, we had the Zolio there in camp, and that was the beautiful part is that we could always count on somebody to let us know that they were headed to, to camp, and I text. Gilbert and said, you know, are you coming in and no response? And, and, you know, that was the hard part for us sitting around trying to de- make a decision is because we're going, well, both of them have Zolios. Both of them have phones and, you know, they, they should, they should be all right, but they worked all right. And, you know, that's one of the things that we do is, you know, come certain time it's time to go see what's going on and we yeah thank goodness we did and they weren't close and so the thing was when we weren't weren't close when we were uh when we were not getting answers back from them you know the thing that we're going in our head is there's no way that both their phones went out at the same time (laughs) so so i actually um me and guy jump in in my truck and it's about it's a good 
it's a good hour to where they are. And it, it actually got delayed a little more because I jumped on a highway, and halfway between there we had a vehicle that looked like Larry's pass me going in the other direction. So I uh. U-turn and followed that vehicle, I don't know, another 15 miles before I realized, well, first of all, the guy drove like a bat out of Hades. That's not Larry. You know, and it's just a very <laughs> Like a grandma, man, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, so we turn around and we go back. By the time we get up to the area where these guys' vehicle was supposed to be, luckily guy knew where the vehicle was. He had been up there. It was midnight. It was like 12.03. Oh. So wow. we're, we're talking about we've had our last message at 7.30. I get up on there, and, and let me tell you what, this road – this road is a tight booger. It's tough for a truck. It might be okay in a UTV, but, you, you know, guys telling me, hug the hill, hug the hill, because in the darkness, it just friggin' drops off on the side. It's right? 600 foot down the other side. Yeah. So, so I'm going along, and as I'm going, and we're almost there, I see an image on the side of the road, and it's a Gilbert Ornelas with two packs, and the look on his face sent ice chills through me. And um, I've never seen Gil in this state. And, I mean, Gil is one of these guys that you always want on your six, man. This is a guy that's confident. This is a guy that's tough. This is a guy that don't mess around. He's been, you know, an officer in the sheriff's department, some of the toughest parts of Texas out there. This guy handles himself. And the look that I saw on his face was one that um this guy had been through it and and not only was he had been through it but I saw no Larry and I see his pack and he comes up to us on you know first of all he takes his hand like like this and and he's like man he comes to me and he starts, he's apologizing for the whole situation and and this is going on I'm like dude stop man it's okay and you know it took it seemed like doggone 20 minutes it was probably three before he said we're both okay and and i was like you could have started with that (laughs) (laughs) i just wanted him to know it was totally my fault that i'd messed that up um it was uh it was really the tale of two perfect storms uh no pun intended uh we were we went through a pretty good storm um Larry and I had had a great morning. It started with the spikes. Um, and you know, in hindsight, I know what I'd do different on that hunt. I'd never bail off again. Something so steep. Um, we really didn't in the know evening, how, right? In the evening. Yeah. We really didn't okay. know how steep that was going down until we were right in the middle of it. And, um, you know, we had bulls bugling down there. And, down there. Yeah. Yeah. They were down there. And, you know, we had another bull across another ridge. We felt like if we get to the bottom, I could call him down. Um, but in hindsight, I should have just dropped off the edge where those spikes were into that meadow, walked across, hit the road, and finished our hunt like that. Um, now I know what I know now. And I thought we could come up that other side. A uh, guy had said that there was a way to get up it. But when we got down and looked up on that other side after I called that bull all the way to the bottom, um, 
I'm like, there ain't no way we can climb this thing straight up here. You know, I mean, I know what my capabilities are and I, you know, Larry's much more astute at mountain climbing than I am. You know, I'm 275 pounds. Uh, you know, I can go with four wheel drive. It's slow. I'm going to go 10, 15 feet, have to take a break, but I mean, I can get there. You know, when I looked up, I'm like, there ain't, there is no way we can go up this face. You know, so I looked over to the left going towards the southwest, actually the northwest, going towards the northwest. And I'm like, man, it's a lot. It looks like a lot gradual, more slope down to where we were. Right. So I'm like, I looked at my onyx uh, and Larry looked at his onyx and we're like, you know, man, it looks a lot better on that side. And then I looked at my power bar and I had like. 12% 12% left. All of a sudden, it just drained all of my juice, right? So I'm with, I'm with Larry and we're down there on the bottom. And I said, Larry, do you have a battery pack? And he said, yeah, I got a battery pack. He said, but I don't have a cord for it. And I'm like, Oh, really? I'm like, well, I got my battery pack. Hang on just a second. And I start digging in my pack, right? Cause we're going to need that. We're going to need that. Number one, to talk on the Zolio to the guys, and number two, to be able to use Onyx to get out of there, right? And fat maps or whatever else we need to see slopes. So, and it's getting dark. It's 630, you know. <clears throat> so I start digging, man, and I pour my whole pack out. And, brother, fear hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh, my God. I don't have – I do not have my battery pack and I, or nor my cord. And I'm like, where is it? What's well, in my mule? It's in the Defender, right? It's in the, I had had it the other day and I, I put it in there to charge. And man, I'm like, dang gum. And I didn't put it back in my pack. And I knew we were going to stay out all day. And I just did not put it back in there. I thought I had it. So I'm like, okay, no big deal. I said, Larry, do you have a compass? Yeah, I got a compass. So we took a reading off his Onyx because his, his, now he says, oh my gosh, I'm getting low too. I got like 6%, right? So we take a reading off of Onyx, think we got a good reading, and we start easing around to the south, to the northwest of that ridge. When we get around that other side, it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough going straight up, but it's not near as bad as it's going to get, okay? Uh, we get up to about halfway, and it's dark, and it starts raining and sleeting, okay? And... We get it was about, even lightning flashing, man. Yeah, lightning flashing. I mean, wow. the whole nine yards. And Larry's doing his best, you know, to to keep pace and to stay positive. But he's going up in front of me, and he's going. I can hear him going, "Oh man, big O, this is this is not good." He's like, "This is really <laughs> steep. You know, we're not going to be able to stand up and do this. We're going to have to crawl." And I'm like, "Crawl? Well, there's no way to go down. I mean, there is no way for us to go down and retransverse." the way we came because it is straight up that other side too. Right. So we're like, man, we got to keep going. You know, we got into the worst rock slide I've ever seen transversing, traversing this side of this face where it was, you can ask Larry, it was literally hand over fist on our knees in the rocks. You couldn't stand up. It was so steep. Right. When Joe looked at it, the, the face that we traversed was almost 40, 45 degrees. I mean, 50 degrees. It was really straight up and down. The problem was is Larry would have to get on my very far left side 
because rocks would come sliding down, big old rocks, right, would come sliding down. They didn't, he didn't want me to get taken out, and I sure, I was never going to get ahead of him, so he probably didn't have much to worry about me taking him out. But at the end of the day, we had to stagger coming up the side of that hill. And what I was looking for was big rocks and other bushes to hold on to, right, because I would get so tired. I finally – my right bicep that I had surgically repaired would lock up. And I mean, just lock up Uh-oh. and spasm, right? So I got no way to pull, right? I, all I'm, I got one arm and I'm pulling myself up with that one arm. Then my right, my right, uh, uh, quad muscle locks up in the middle of being in this rock slide on this mountain. So I'm in, I'm in serious condition here. If I go down, 275 pounds going to the bottom, son. It ain't hanging up. Ain't none of that. But I found me a long stick that I could use to, if I did fall, try to hang on to something before I got to that bottom. But look, we're probably 400 feet now above where we started. We went from 9,200 feet to about 9,600 feet. Okay. And that 400 feet was the most treacherous 400 feet I've ever done in my life. I remember on my hands and knees, my wife cried about it when I told her. I remember on my hands and knees, I could hear her and my son telling me, Dad, don't give up. Don't give up. Take one more step. Rest. Take another step. Rest. And, and Larry was the voice of reason in that. Look, we're, we're going to be okay. You know, just keep coming, big O. Don't stop. So I told myself that there's no way that I'm dying here on this daggum mountain. This is bullshit. That's exactly what I told myself. I said, you're going to have to man up and you're going to have to get to, I thought if we got to the fire break road or the, the, where they, they used it for water, the big ditch. I said, if we can get to that, that spot right there, we can take a left and it'll pinch us out on the road we drove up. I remember seeing that on Larry's Onyx and it seemed like it took us two hours to go that 400 feet. I mean, it was brutal. Probably wouldn't have taken Larry that long if he wasn't so concerned for me because I was locked up the whole time, right? So I would have to take about a five to 10 minute break and get that cramp out of my leg. Finally, I rolled over, rolled my pack off. On the side of this hill, you, you, you're rolling over, rolling your pack off to try and put your bow on the back of your pack. And my bow took a horrible ass whipping up and down that mountain. But I mean, it, it was what I had to do to, to get my hands going to help climb the rest of that mountain. So we put our bows on our backs, mm-hmm. um, and, and started to finish the climb. We got, and finally, Larry goes, it looks a lot better up here. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make another four or five feet and hopefully things are going to get better. And it just never did seem like it was getting, and then, <laughs> I mean, it starts raining even harder and I'm going, Lord, what have I done for you to forsake me like this? You know, I mean, I've asked for some divine intervention and I get rain and sleet and more wind. I'm like, you know, I just kept hearing my son said, don't give up, dad, keep rolling, you know. So we kept rolling. And then Larry says, no, it really does look like it's going to get better right here. So we top out on this little pinched out uh firebreaker uh, what they called the big ditch, you know, they used for water in the back in the gold rush days. 
And we get on that sucker and it's just ladled with blowdown, man. We're having to dive off in the ditch. We're having to go up and around it. You know, it, it ain't no damn way we're going down. Well, we're so give out and we're so tired. Mr. Larry gets a little disoriented about where we need to be. He thinking we got to go down and big O's going, hell no, we ain't going down. We're going up. That's the only way we can go. Don't like to lose elevation. Yeah. Well, but I knew that we had parked at the top of this ridge and there was no way we were going to fall off. Right. So we had multiple. Uh, poignant conversations about it. And, and look, I, I'm trying to be as respectful as I can and not be a real butthole about it. And, uh, cause I like Mr. Larry a lot. I have a lot of respect for Mr. Gill. He's a fantastic guy. He's a, a good Christian man. He loves the Lord. And, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to be uh, obtuse with him at all. No, you, were, you, you were doing the right thing. We were, we were coaching each other, you know. Right. And, and I told yeah. him, I said, look, man, one thing I've got an ability of is navigation. I'm telling you right now, we got to go up, you know, and he goes, you really want to go up? And I'm like, not, not that way. No, but we're going to go up when we hit this road. If we pinch out on it. And he's like, yeah, well, I mean, if we pinch out on it. So we, it's two miles. It's literally guy and Adam, look, it's almost two miles. You've got to go around the, the northwest side of this slope to get to the road, right? So we make that whole, that whole trip around all that deadfall and everything. And it was very dangerous, real slick, real wet, but we got to the road. And when we got to the road, I'm like saved, right? I know my, I know my boys are not going to let me stay out there all night. I know they're going to come, but what hit us was not having our onyx, not having our battery backups. So we had no cell phone reception, no Zolio, uh, and no, uh, no onyx so we couldn't didn't really know exactly where the truck was and it's pitch black fellas everything in the pitch back black looks the same so i knew we needed to go up and when we got to the road mr larry said well big O, you you got a feeling like we got to go up so and look i had severely sprained my ankle uh on one of those tripping falls i bet i fell down i don't know 15 times in the rocks, my, my legs are still beat up, you know, so I'm beat up pretty bad and I'm spent and I, I got a cramp in my right quad or sprained my right ankle. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm pretty beat up. He said, well, look, I'm going to go to the top. I feel okay. I'm going to go to the top. And I really didn't want to separate at that time, but I wasn't going to fight and argue with him either. So, I mean, he's a grown man. He's older than me. He's, you know, at the end of the day, he, he said, I'm going to go get the truck up there. You wait right here. Well, for me, it was really better for me, him to let me rest and go with him because it would have kept me warmer than just sitting there because I was, we were all pretty well drenched and that daggum rain and sleet was coming in even harder. So I, I got to looking around in my pack. I had some fire starters. I could have dug me up some. It's pouring wet. So all the wood out there is wet, right? Really hard to find something other than digging under some of that deadfall and getting you something that's, that's drier to start you a fire. And I'm like, well, he's only going to be gone 15, 20 minutes. I'm going to walk up and down and pace up and down this road, try to keep myself, you know, warm. Well, that walk turned in about 15 minutes. He comes back and I'm like, what in the hell? He's got his headlamp. He ain't got the car, you know? <laughs> and, uh, he says, well, big old, I walked to a fence. It said flying horse ranch. And I'm like, well, 
Yeah, you got to go down that. He goes, no, I don't think so. He said, I think we got to go. I think we've got to go one more level down. And I'm like, uh-uh, we got to go further up. And he goes, well, I don't remember seeing that, that fence. And I said, well, Larry, you can go down if you want, but I ain't. I promise you that. I ain't going down to come back up. So we had a poignant conversation about that. And he decided he was going to walk to Red River. And he did. And uh he figured out then that the truck wasn't down there at Red River. It had to be up on top. So he, he come back, you know. And he it was that time that he come back. I mean, here we are. It's 11 o'clock, you know. He comes rolling back. He goes, well, big old, I went all the way to Red River. And uh we sure as hell ain't down there. He said, so uh, I'm going to go back to the top, you know. And I'm sitting there kind of twiddling my thumbs. I'm like, man, any minute Joe and him going to show up. And pretty much that's exactly what happened uh, Larry went back up to the top and he found the truck. But again, Mr. Larry was very tired. Both of us were give out. And again, he was disoriented. He actually got in the truck and instead of coming down, he went further back up, you know, kept going towards up instead of coming back down. So uh, again, all of that fatigue and everything led to being disoriented, right? And thank God about 1145, 12 o'clock, I see headlights coming up the mountain. I'm like, ain't nobody coming up this treacherous song gone unless it's Joe Gillia. That's for damn sure. I said, so I'm just going to sit tight right here. I'll turn my headlamp on, turn my other flashlight on. And sure enough, it was him and Guy. And I'm like, God dang, am I glad to see you boys. I said, man, I, Joe, I'm so sorry. This is all my fault. I didn't have my battery back up. And you can't, you can't believe what went on to us down here to get us to this point. But um, definitely something everybody in this group and on this podcast should 100% understand that I now have two battery backups in my bag with two cords um, that could help, you know, navigate uh, see a better route, but truthfully, there wasn't a better route. Um, now, guy says there was on the front side of that. Him and Mike say there was a, a, a better route on the front side of that. I wouldn't have known it because it was dark, right? Now, it, now that I know where they're talking about, I probably could come up that that way instead of going around that northwest side and coming up the worst side of it. Um, but you couldn't see it in the dark. You know, you couldn't, you didn't know where it was to begin with. So yeah. part of that's my fault for diving off and, and, and Larry's too for diving off in that, that late in the evening. Um, so I mean, we share that responsibility, but me as a coach, 100% shoulder the responsibility and not having the correct, um, survival tools to make sure that we, got to where we needed to be. No, Big O, I'm equally at fault. It's a, it's a hunter's responsibility to uh, to have his own provisions and, and, and not to have that kind of a failure point. So it's as much my fault as it was yours. You don't need, you, you, you can't bear that burden. By well, I mean, I, I 100% felt like it was mine and, and, and to, a, you know, we aren't guiding guys. We're coaching guys. But right. there comes a time where we're going to have to have some conversations that are like, no, we're going to do this because I feel like it's better for us or I can't, I'm, I'm not equipped to be able to do that. 
Um, so those are conversations that need to be had, but we've got to go through it as a coach. We've got to go through a checklist every day of what's in our bag and what is not in our bag. And, and that, that, that checklist is huge, man. And that's, the, that's why we're doing this. This is for every listener out there to understand that all it takes is one missing cord, one missing battery, um, if that's what you're dependent on, especially in areas that are ultra, you know, um, difficult to navigate in the first place. And it was the most know, difficult I've ever been. In. Oh my, I mean, it would have been difficult during the daylight and to add the darkness and to add the rain. And you know, when I got to you guys, man, I mean, you were pretty doggone close to hypothermia when we got to you as well. So, um, you know, chills. yeah, any of that can create disorientation. So this is our opportunity for everybody else to listen to that and to think about how you could have done that different. And and like they said, just by making sure you have redundancy in your equipment um, to be able to check, check that. And, you know, and it and it's critical. Thank goodness uh, we knew where they were to be able to go there. Um, I still would have had some concern if we would have gotten there and they hadn't made it to the road. How would we have known where they were, you know? Um, yeah. So there's a lot of things that take place there. But the number one is to be present and present of mind um, and to know, you know, to stay calm. And I think that's one of the things that you guys managed to do was even though it was difficult, you stayed calm. You know, even though you guys had um, – conversations with each other that under stress become difficult conversations, yeah. but they have to happen and there has to be. Yeah, a, we never got disrespectful with one yeah, another well, or you know, cursed one another or anything like that. I mean, it was, again, you know, I was more, I was more scared for him than I really was for myself. And I'm sure he felt like the same way. Um, but we just wanted to make sure we got back, got well, you back. You guys to stayed the, together till you got on a road and that was huge. So yeah. that, that, um, I, you know, there will be people that in a situation like that in high stress will get upset with each other and end up separating out. And oh, then no. that just makes for a more dangerous situation. Yeah. So, we knew the road was our savior. You know, Absolutely. somebody's going to come up and down that road. If we had to walk to the bottom down to Red River and go beat on somebody's door down there, I mean, you got a charging cord, you know, I mean, something, we, we were going to find a way to get down off that mountain. But I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, in our camp, about 11 o'clock, we ain't heard from somebody, we're going looking, right? Well, once we so, got past mm-hmm. the two-hour limit of expectation, things got nervous, and then there, there's a point of no return where we've got to go do something. So That's right. You know what, Joe, you said something that actually, you know, was a wake-up call for me also uh, this year. And, and it's about, you know, getting separated, right? And, uh, so we all know about the blowdowns mm-hmm. and what we all went through with that, right? So Manano and I were on a hunt together and, uh, man, we got through some horrible, horrible blowdowns and, uh, Manano and I love to argue, right? That's in our nature. He wanted to go <laughs> that way. I wanted to go this way. And, you know, we all knew where we wanted to end up. We all wanted to go straight up the mountain till we hit the road. And he had it in his mind. It was easier this way. I had it in my mind. It was easier this way. So blow downs, every man on their own. We decided to kind of each take the path. We thought it was easier. And uh, it turns out when we got, when I got to the top, 
I was on the left-hand side going up the mountain. He was on the right-hand side going up the mountain. When I got to the top, I, I was expecting that he would be coming down the road from the right to the left. So I waited on the road thinking I had gotten there first. And I started eating my sandwich. Then I drank some water. Then I wouldn't hear anything. Then I was like, whoa, what is going on? So I, I threw a couple bugles to kind of let him know where I was at. I cow call, nothing. So then I started getting nervous. I put all my pack and everything and went back to the right to where he was supposed to be. Started doing more calls, more cow calls, got louder. Then started yelling his name. And started getting really nervous. And, you know, the images in my head of things that could have possibly happened to him. And then how am I going to find him? If something really happened to him and he can't scream or yell or anything like that, how am I going to find him in those blowdowns? And so I got so worried. And and then I walked back towards the bike. When I got to the bike, Manana was there. The bike. Yeah. I got mad at him. I was like, what the heck, man? He's like, well, it turns out as we went up the road, you we crossed. kind of crossed mm-hmm. and he yeah. came out, you know, further to the, to closer to the bike than I did. Right. And, and it was like, it was an aha moment for both of us because we're like, man, you know, we both have, we both have solio, <laughs> but <laughs> we both have solio. Uh, we both have phones, but no signal. Yet something like that happens. If somebody's down, they have no means of communicating yeah. and they're by themselves. How do you find that person, especially on those blowdowns? Yeah. So the, yeah. The, so as a point as of a, not getting separated is so important. Yeah. As a tip. Well, first of all, if your partner's your partners, that's the way it should be. You know, yeah. um, if you're going to hunt solo, mm-hmm. you have, you say we're going to have a meeting point and we're going to be at this time at this place. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to do things to take care of each other. And, and with the Zolio, if you do end up in a situation, yes, you can't send a message with your phone, but you can copy coordinates and you can send them through the Zolio so that somebody can, you know, uh, be able to locate you. So that's an option there as far as that. So those are just some safety things. So let's, let's brighten this up a little bit. Let's yeah. take this back. Yeah. Here. We, all, we all got better. Let, let, I, I want to ask, and and we're going to start uh, with uh, we're going to start now. Tom, first of all, Tom, well, we we have not gotten to another success story, man. So let's brighten this thing up a little bit. Tell us about your adventure with one big O. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we didn't have to crawl any mountains, Joe. <laughs> Let me just start with this is my seventh archery hunt and still no elk on the ground. So the start of this camp was my seventh archery hunt and got to go out with Joe and then we, we you switched it up, which is great. Got to be with Big O. What an entertainer, coach. Uh, he is, I mean, can't say enough about him. Um, thank you, brother. So we're out there sitting in the pouring rain, just like everyone else. I mean, and it's pouring and we're just casting calls out, just practicing my poor call cow calls. And, and all of a sudden I spot one coming out and open and, uh, Big O, he says, uh, 
let's let's get him in closer because we had everything arranged. It was an open field. Uh, he boogered off. About 15 minutes later, Big O calls him back in, and he boogers again, and he was able to call him back a third time and called him in, did a little light chuckle. And I was, he was on my uh, right shoulder, not too far off and coached me along. He says, just be patient, wait your turn and take your time. And things were uh, real clear when I pulled back. And I was just thinking about one of our sessions with guy, how he says, you, you pull back, you drop in that anchor spot, everything comes together. And it's just, you know, second nature at that point. And, uh, put the, the old bead on that booger and, uh, let it fly. And, uh, money, as you guys call it, two holes, baby, two holes. Yeah. So, and just, uh, the, the bear hug celebration I got from him, I, I'll never forget that, brother. <laughs> the, uh, the feeling and, uh, uh, excitement of that is just uh, unreal. I've waited many years for this. I tell you, he was as cute, cool as the other side of the pillow, brother. I mean, you know, it was a real stressful situation because that bull knew something was up, you know, and he tried to leave two or three times, and, and uh, he wanted to be in the set. I mean, he really did. And when we got him pulled in there, uh, I I told you, when you draw, I'm on a bu- I'm on a uh, cow call. I said, when you draw, I'll cow call. And I just kept watching for the draw. And the bull kind of danced around a little bit. And he came back. I had a little small chuckle. He came back and was probably inside the 40-yard mark when you decided to draw. And then he kind of boogered a little bit. And, yeah, I mean, we flattened him out. And when he flattened out, I'm like, oh, oh this is it. And, I mean, he sent it. And it crushed that bull dude it hit him and he took off running and the bull was dead yeah there it is right there guys y'all can see it on our youtube channel there it is that bull died in less than 22 seconds i mean absolutely graveyard dead in less than 22 seconds watched him fall heard him fall and when he when he fell and i knew what that was Man, I dogpiled Tom, man. I mean, just <laughs> grabbed a hold of him, picked him up off the ground, barreled him. I'm like, dude, what an unbelievable set. Pouring down rain, you know, the whole nine yards. And I just told him that day when we got set up in there, I said, look, man, I've been many days like this, and I've called a lot of bulls in just calling and letting it marinate, you know, not getting too aggressive and just, just casting a few calls out and letting, you know, getting something back. I've called a lot of bulls in doing that for guys muzzleloader hunting and and archery as well. And I just told him, I said, if there's anything around here, it's going to want to come find the party. So we put on a little cow party, a little bull in in with that. And that spike, he wanted to be part of the gang, you know. And uh, the rest, this guy finishes like none other. When he got to full draw, he didn't tarry long, had it right where he needed it, sent it in the – in the right spot, you know, didn't need much of a tracking job because he was right there in front of us. Uh, but the arrows that Mr. Luis Gonzalez, the leader of the Venezuelan mafia built performed flawlessly. So, um, it was much celebration going on. I, I think I, I'm about hyperventilated. We did a little hero session and immediately I'm texting the WhatsApp bull down, Tom. 
T-Money Roth gets it done. Face, we FaceTimed. Yeah, we FaceTimed <laughs> Luis. That's right. FaceTimed him. FaceTimed his son. FaceTimed his wife. I mean, uh, the whole nine yards got it all uh, out on the map. I was so emotional. Thank you, thank you for doing that, by the way. It meant a lot to me, guys. I, it was, I felt like I was there with y'all. Uh, well, you were. Joe knows how emotional I get over these critters, and man, I was a mess. I just tell you, I was. <laughs> well, I cried for him. I cried for you know the whole crew. The whole crew. This was this was something that was really near and dear to us. This is our first, you know, inaugural uh, outdoor adventure for for Elk Bros, and man, we wanted everybody's hunt to be special. And I hope that Mr. Roth felt, felt that way. I mean, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. You know, I was over his shoulder the whole time. I'm sure several times he was like, shut up, big old, I got it. You know, cause I'm telling him easy, don't move, don't move, be easy, you know, be, be easy, don't move. Cause that bull is, he's like laser eye looking for us, you know? So it was a lot of fun to be part of. Mr. Mr. Roth is a consummate gentleman, uh, and I mean, a unbelievable, um, guy to have in camp. And I'm so glad that we could be part of his first bull that he took, you know, and, and I asked him on the way in, I said, all right, brother Tom, so what are we? We, we you know, we're six by six or bust tonight or what? He goes, no, nah, bro. He goes, big old, if it's brown, it's down. I said, all right, brother. I said, that's the kind of stuff I like to hear, man. <laughs> so uh, we knew he wasn't going to be passing. So, and there's two things from that man is, is that, you know, all of these guys, it, you know, every day they had to make a decision on where they were going. You know, they had to talk about, you know, um, you know, when they had a coach with them, what they wanted us to do with them. So this is their decision making process. And, and, you know, in that, I know that Tom really got a huge monkey off the back, you know, cause I heard him so many times, you know, when he was with me talking about the misses and he's had multiple misses and multiple opportunities. So it was, it was really cool to see him get the monkey off the back like that. And, you know, and he was telling me he wished Mike was the one that, uh, had, had gotten that. I mean, I remember Larry saying that as well, that they were like, man, they, we want Mike to score out here. It was, it was really cool to see the camaraderie between them as well. And, and I, and I also want to give a tip off to, uh, to Travis there as well, because, you know, Travis was texting us, you know, and, and we were seeing things that were going on with him. And he's like, you know, it's so funny. He's in Alberta, Canada, but it was so similar to every situation that we were going through there. And he's like, dude, man, he says, I'm bringing him just with that little soft chuckle. You know, we're not doing much other than a little soft chuckle. And, and man, I mean, at that, on that early season, those bulls were just like, Ew. And that was it, man. There wasn't a whole lot of talking. Yeah, that was going on. So, yeah. all right. So let me ask you guys this. I got one other thing. Yeah. Uh, you talked about Adam with uh, cutting an elk up earlier, not having a coach there. Big O and guys standing right there and being very patient with myself, cutting. I've I've done plenty of whitetails, but never done an elk. And just the <laughs> guidance and um, – you know, the patience that they showed, because I know I was going a lot slower than they would have. But, uh, hey, Tom, 
Tom, I, I wanted to learn that myself and be able to do it next time. If, you did. If I was you did a heck of a job too, man. I, I looked at it and I was like, man, he really did a beautiful job on that elk, man. And, and Tom, it, was, it wasn't all that slow. You did a you did a great. Oh yeah, job. Agreed. absolutely. Agreed. I offered to uh, pitch in and help. Me too. No, Larry, thanks, but I'd like to do this myself. Yeah. Yeah, he one hundred percent. And for us as coaches, man, we we're here to help them. And we, I asked him in that hunt, "What do you really want me to do?" He said, "Well, could you critique my cow calling and stuff like that?" And it was a collaboration of everybody getting together and understanding what their job was. And when he knocked that bull down, he one hundred percent told me, "Absolutely not! Don't you, you you can instruct me, but I don't want you doing it for me." And I said, "Yes, sir. You tell me what you need. I'll hold a leg. I'll, you know, do whatever. I pull the pull the hide back. I mean, whatever you need from me, I'm here." So, um, for uh, I, I was proud of Tom, man. He's an absolute. Uh, he's a elk hunter, man, and and he's got a better uh, idea of what it takes to get one of them bulls clean. Now it's it's a chore. I mean, with two guys, it's a hell of a chore. You know. So with that said, to, before before we get out of here, I want to know from each of you, Mike. We're going to start with you. What is the focus of your preparation from the lessons and everything that you've gone through? What is the focus of your preparation for twenty twenty three? I started already just as I unpacked just note after note after note after note of, you know, as I was unloading the pack, as I was going through my food, uh, as we talked earlier, I've already started some things on workout. How do I make some adjustments to that? But clearly the one thing that I need to do is I need to get better at understanding out calling. What are they saying? When are they saying? And how am I going to get to that point? And one of the things I dissected out of, hunting with guy is is that you know he's doing a multitude of you know he's carrying reeds right on his shoulder here so you know we've got the calf we've got the cow we've got the bugle we've got the and and just to host a forum that was in my notes as i was dissecting this and i'm still putting stuff away but i'm just simply looking at it going here's my notes i want to remember to do this i want to remember to do this i want to remember to do this and so on that was the, the calling an understanding of the communication and watching Guy and working with Guy through that was just, I told him at one point, it's like, dude, I should just be carrying a video camera as you and I talk (laughs) about this stuff. I took some video of him. I I mean, I thought he was jacking around. One time he's down on his knee and he's sticking dirt and stuff inside of his bugle tube. You know, he's doing some, uh, some, you know, some chuckle from the beds and some stuff like that. I'm like, what is wrong with this dude? And it's like, dude's down on his knees praying to make this call work. <laughs> well, we get to talking about it after the fact, and he's like, the dude's in his bed, and this is, and the difference that it made in the tone to the call was just unquestionably noticeable. Yeah. You know, so I mean, yeah. I'm just, I, I'm just taking the time to put that on paper right now, but the biggest thing I've taken away is I need to learn to communicate like an elk, and I need to put those pieces in place that's going to allow me to be able to do that. Awesome. You know, I got to hunt some with my coach, Joe Gillia, and anytime I get to share the woods with him, it's an honor. And, uh, you know, he's been on my on my side for the last 13 years, and he's one of my best friends. And we got to hunt with Mr. Larry Gill uh, the last couple of days. And, you know, we got, we got to call him together. And, you know, when your mentor walks out of the woods and goes, you like my son, that's that good. You know, I'm like, wow, 
You know, all I can do is keep trying to get better, you know, but when he tells you, Ooh, my son, that's really good. You know, uh, I, I feel good about what we got going on, but look, it's been a labor, you know, it's been a labor of love guys. I mean, I, you know, I hadn't been, I hadn't been like that forever. Joe will tell you it was rough at first, but I was dedicated to the craft. And if you guys will put the time in with the reads and, and be dedicated to getting on, you know, and listening to podcasts that are, that are really about elk calling and what elk are saying, man, I'm telling you, if y'all dedicate the time, y'all get better at it. And before you know it, you'll be calling bulls in for other people. You know, that, that was cool. Just the finesse end of it. Cause I think we're all led to watch the commercials and all the yeah. advertisements of people yeah. blowing it up, blowing yeah. it up, blowing it up. Yeah. I was like, dude, you're not blowing it up. And just the finesse end of the call and understanding the language yeah. was, was one of the just the biggest takeaways of that and learning to communicate. Touch on the patience level of being able to say, He's in there, and I'd be sitting there, and we'd be a half hour later still sitting there, and all of a sudden, hmm, told you, he's still sitting down there. I'm like, I'd have been gone 15 minutes ago if I was by myself. Yeah, absolutely. But yet the expertise level that we were able to observe and work with and learn off of in the field as those things were transaction was just, once again, off the charts. Thanks, Mark. Hey, what do you um... – what is the focus of your preparation for 2023? My focus is spending a lot of time with the reeds. Uh, there you go. The, uh, um, the cow calls, I'm pretty comfortable with right now. The chuckles, the bugles, um, I'm, I'm um, marginally between terrible and pitiful. And <laughs> <laughs> trying to work my way up the scale to get it to be better because that's that's very important. And and when Mike and I were together, I did get a bull to, in spite of how bad I was, that bull was responding to us and coming to us for a while. So uh, we 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 just didn't close the gap soon enough for him. We should have waited the the river to to get over there, and uh, that was a, that was a mistake. And cutting the distance, you guys have emphasized so far uh, all along how important that is, and. Uh, we, when he didn't come to us, we went around and that was a mistake. But, but the calling and, um, the, uh, the bugles, the chuckles is what I'm going to work on. The, the preparation, the physical preparation, the camping preparation, the hiking preparation, the arrow preparation that Luis did. Um, I'm, I'm all good with that. I'm right on target where I need to be. So, uh, improving my calling will be my focus for this next year. And, and, I, yeah, and I would, if, I would if actually. I could say anything, Joe. The guys that I listened to call with the bugles and the chuckles, it was all about filling that diaphragm up, right? And not just coming right from the top, but actually getting the diaphragm full and then using what's, what's inside to get that, that bugle and that, that soft chuckle. You know? I think every one of our guys, I, if, if I was to tell any of them, and I'm going to let them still finish out, but, and and to all our listeners, if you do not have the sounds to be able to bring an elk to you, you are limiting your success. 
the biggest difference between my success and most other people's success is my ability to talk to the animals. I'm just telling you that. And you got to spend a lot of time with the reeds. I can take a reed and I can sound like a doggone whooping crane, a turkey, a coyote, you know, I mean, make all kind because you just get used to working with that and reproducing sounds. And that is critical. It is ultra critical and understanding that language of where to go. So Tom, what are, what is the focus of your preparation for 2023? Well, it's pretty much the same. The other guys are talking physical, learning the reads a little better in the language. Um, and, and one thing I picked up was look at the lay of the land a little better than what I normally am, you know, and go back to the areas we hunted and, and the signs we saw and go, all right, I got to find more areas just like this. And, and there's a lot more areas out there that are huntable and not just look at it and go, oh, that's too steep. I'm not going up there because you got to go after them. That's where they're at. Bingo. Adam Messner. Yeah. Um, I got to, I want to just keep fostering my passion for this sport. You know, I feel like I found some kindred spirits in the Elk Bros camp and the Elk Bros crew. You know, my connection to elk and elk hunting has always felt very personal and it's always felt very unique. But I come across you guys. Spiritual brother. Every single person here is equally passionate like I am about this wonderful sport that that we all hold so dear to our hearts. So I'm just so excited to keep connected to the elk bros and, and keep connected to this sport. And And on top of that, I'm going to work on my fitness. I'm going to work on my calling. I'm going to work on my gear. I'm going to work on my uh, climbing. I'm going to work on my pack. I'm going to work on my decoy game. I'm going to work on my shooting. Um, just as a few things. <laughs> <laughs> so coaches, um, I'm going to give you, you guys had a chance to hear these guys going and um, just one last message or tip or anything that you want to leave for them. Uh, Chav, uh, I'm going to let you start first, man. I think all of you kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, that calling is so important, you know, spend a lot of time with it. You know, when you're, you know, if you drive to work, you know, take a, take a read with you. And, uh, you know, I know Travis did a really good job with that, that new call. And I don't know if it's even out to the general public other than us, but, you know, get that one and give it, give it a go. But as far as conditioning, you know, you guys came and camp in really good shape. Uh, the only thing I would change, uh, would do actually have a, a hurdle workout that I think would help, but because of all the down, the blowdowns, you know, uh, trail leg workout and going actually under a hurdle because sometimes you were going under the logs, over the logs, over the big logs, you know, so I think Joe has a plan to have, uh, a video from each coach talking about the different aspects. And uh, I would put that in the video and show you guys. But you guys did an awesome job coming to camp in really good shape. I'm really proud of each one of you guys. RC. Well, I just was proud of them because they were hungry when they came in. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't spoil our supper. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm hungry for some of that apple. I was like, oh, you guys, boy, they ain't gonna be very hungry, but yeah, you were still hungry. That's good. I could, I could, I could go for some of that cowboy cobbler right now. <laughs> Ooh, baby. 
Look, y'all, y'all, uh, y'all know RC's really, I'm close to RC and he's one of my best friends and I love him to death. And he took care of me this whole time. I, I worked through some problems with my truck. I blew the radiator up in it. I blew the radiator up in it. I blew the flan clutch up in it. Uh, so it took him two weeks to get me back going, but RC took care of me, let me take his own personal vehicle back home so I could work a little bit. And I love him. So having him in camp is just another voice of reason. You know, I can go back to him when I were done. We stay in the same camp together. So in the Taj Mahal and I can go back to him and talk to him about my day or whatever it may be. And he offers great advice. And, you know, he's like, kid, you're so good at calling. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's going to happen, you know. So, um, you know, uh, you guys are all unbelievable hunters believe that uh in in what you need need to know how to do is like you've all all looked at it already y'all have all, all said it the calling part is what separates us from you guys woodmanship is great y'all understand you know working the wind is another thing that's really important understanding your setup uh, and being patient, man. You guys work on your patience and understand that elk are on their time and not your time. Uh, and, and because patience is what really gets that elk in trouble. They're very curious animals. And when they come in, curiosity kills the cat, but you gotta allow them to get in there without you boogering the situation. And a lot of times we'll get impatient and we'll, we'll booger some, but I thought you guys were very patient with us as coaches. Uh, and I thought all of you could get possessed great, uh, woodsmanship uh, and all, and you know, God did a great job with you guys effectively increasing your, your killing ranges. But one thing I wanted to ask Tom is, do you think the difference in you killing an elk this time versus shooting at an elk was because you knew the distance? Yes, sir. By all means. So 100%, if anybody takes anything away from this, it is so crucial for you guys to know your distance to finish. Yeah, we got to draw our bow back to get it started, but you have got to know your distance to finish. If you don't, you're just really shooting blanks out there and hoping and wishing. I missed missed an elk this year because I was uncertain of the distance. Yeah. God did that, bro. God. <laughs> God to yeah. push that arrow. We so, there, so you believe in luck then, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we believe in God. Uh, Tom, how long did we stay video or ranging everything in that meadow? I mean, we ranged it for a good 15 to 20 minutes. So you right. knew. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, whenever that bull stepped into that spot where he was going to be, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's so important, guys. Uh, if I had anything to tell y'all to be able to finish, you got to know your distance, right? And, uh, and your equipment, man, make sure you shoot your bow when you have a really tough hunt, uh, and you beat your bow uh, around, make sure you shoot it the day before you go out or the night before you go out. Uh, it's, it's super important, but I enjoyed this. Um, I'm sad that I don't get to wake up to those mountains every day. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I, you know, it's part of my soul that I like being up there amongst it with those critters and calling them and being around you guys. So thank you all so much for, uh, letting me be part uh, of your, of your journeys. And we thank you all so much. And I, I, God bless each and every one of you. My phone rings 24 seven. Uh, and if I can help you with anything, please let me know.
Travis. Everything that Gil is saying there, 100%. And, like, we're all here for you guys no matter what. It doesn't end here. If you got to make a phone call, you want to work on your calls. Look, even me, I get rusty when we're not calling through December, January, February, March. Just keep doing it. Just do a little bit every day or every other day. Um, you know, if I go for a week and I don't call, even I get rusty. And it's like, oh, I'll make a sound. I'll go, what was that? So don't be scared to call all year round. And just by this time next year, you guys will be just singing like songbirds out there. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's, you know, just keep at it. Learn learn what the animals, you guys seen how they walk by now and what their emotion levels are and how they move. And like you was saying, you know, just be patient with them. Give them time. That's my whole thing when I'm out there with my guys. It's if I think I'm moving slow enough, back slow it down. that much slower down you slow know down. like go slow mo- go way slower so and i just keep telling guys that and really try to get into that scenario calling stuff like the boys are doing the cow parties and the breeding sequences and advertising sequences that's what's going to turn it around 100 percent for you guys i mean if you guys need any help with that any one of the pros can help you with all that stuff as well and that's what we're here for so just use and abuse us all you want. <laughs> use and abuse Travis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Luis. Yeah, man. Beto, I've known you for 14 years, and today was the first day I heard colder than the other side of the pillow. I don't know where you get these things from. But, you know. <laughs> uh, so, but now listen um, – Look, I, I, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm a bit moved. Yeah, cooler. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The reason I'm a bit, bit moved with this, with this podcast today is because, um, I didn't get to meet, uh, you guys personally. Right. And, and, you know, I regret that in a way Uh, I got to deal with you guys over the phone, uh, just a couple sessions, uh, and, and, you know, you guys are, incredible people um again to reiterate what was said at the beginning um probably the best crew to start this adventure uh with you know and so it's been an honor to have met you even over the phone and uh i wish and i wish i was there every minute with uh, with you guys during y'all's hunt um that the arrows thing um you know arrows are just arrows um, I, I'm passionate about them because that was a huge failure point that I had. And, uh, it kind of, you know, it took me, my journey in elk hunting took me down that road. And, uh, so when I hear you guys talking about what you guys are working on, um, I want to add to all of that by saying for me, it has been a spiritual road. Um, I, when I started bow hunting seven years ago, um, I was spiritually and mentally and health wise in a different spot. And I can guarantee you I'm in a much better spot today. The beauty, we can call it a sport, but the, the truth of the matter is the passion of what we do, uh, with elk hunting has the ability to touch our souls in a way that it, it helps us identify and be true to ourselves as to what we need to grow uh, with internally as people. 
as man. You know, and, and as man, and uh, what are the things that in our characters that we need to change or look at, or um, you know, change in our lives to to become better. And the the impressive thing about it is that it doesn't make you just a better person that you're happy with yourself, but it it impacts the people around you as well. So my message to you guys is continue to tune in to that, to that internal voice that identifies those things that, you know, you got to work on and, and continue to work on those things. And for the goal of becoming a better person uh, for you and those around you. So an honor to have met you all. And, and, and thank you again for allowing us to be part of uh, y'all's experience this year. Well, it was our honor. Thank you, for you. Thank you so side. much for your help. It's uh, a, a delight to work with you, Luis. He's a man. He's a man. So before Gil closes out here, all I would like to let you guys uh, say to you guys is this, is that um, success is not about the final outcome. It is about the journey along the way. And if as long as you remember and you have passion for and you live for the hunt itself, um, the result's going to take care of itself. You know, if you live for the hunt, if and that's why it's called hunting. It's not called mm-hmm. killing. It's called hunting. And you yeah. work on that, on being a great hunter, on observing, using all your senses, enjoying every moment, and stopping to enjoy those moments and those sunsets and those smells and those branches and those trails and the intricacies of those animals. When you do that, the rest of it, it just it just adds to it, and you become one with the environment. And once you do that and you enjoy each moment in that instead of feeling like an intruder on it, like you have to get back to a tent or to a truck or to a camp, when you really feel like you're part of that, like I said, the, the other part, um, the harvests are going to come. That will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Right? So absolutely. It gets easier. It gets yeah. easier after the first one. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Pleasure, man. Thank you for being our first group. Thank you for being incredible people, man. And we're looking Thank forward you to, the, to the future successes. Gil, close us out, man. Yeah, man. Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk con- hunting content at elkbros.com. And don't forget to go to our YouTube channel and check some of these awesome videos out that will be coming out, man. Um, it's going to be epic. Joe's going to be putting them together and, and piecing them out, man. And the mafia are going to be in the deer woods here pretty quick. Uh, so a lot of videos will be hitting. Y'all uh, keep keep watching on our YouTube channel for sure. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, peace, everybody. All our grinders out there. Awesome, guys. Here's some more music from my brother Tony Wintrip to close out our show. Tony! 
<laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. And on top of the world didn't fall there. He knew how to earn his keep with a wall there. He could look anyone in the eye. Never was afraid of goodbye. Strength was unimaginable Through the darkest winter storm Never was above the norm You gotta believe he's unstoppable And if he'd never done it, he would tell you so Never complain, it's the way life goes Didn't fall.